We are today carrying on a series about what is the church? And as I looked into the passage that's just been read to us, it expanded my mind. In a, the cloakroom, it blew my mind because often when we think, what is the church? We sh- You've got an answer, sir. Hello. It's, it's really nice. I haven't seen you for ages. It's so nice to see you. Welcome back. Thank you very much, sir. It's lovely thank to have you, you here. Baba, Baba Christian, thank you very much. Thank the you. church means the Lord Jesus Christ's house. Oh, my friend, that is the perfect answer for today. It's the Lord's house. The Lord's house. House. Bless you. It's where the people go on the right place. Where the people are in the right place. In the right place to the heaven. To the right place to heaven. That is absolutely yeah. perfect. Have your chair and we'll work, it, we'll work it through together from the passage. But this is the Lord's house that he is building together. And it goes up. Richard. Uh, the vicar Richard, yes. yes. It's lovely. And it goes up to the heaven. Do you know that is a summary of the whole message? The way to heaven the house. It's the way to heaven and it's the Lord's house. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Because if you remember nothing from today, please remember that. Because this, that God is building, is the way to heaven and it's the Lord's house. Not only is it the way to heaven, it is actually already in heaven. Because a large part of God's house, his temple, his Holy Spirit, including some of our dear loved ones and our dear friends, have already gone before us, haven't they? To be in glory. And what this passage is saying is, you're being added into something cosmic, not just something temporal here today. What you've been expanded into is eternal. Is that not incredible news? We're being built together as the Lord's house that goes on forever. Hands up if you ever get worried about the future. Go on, go on, be slightly less British. Anyone ever get worried about the future? Go on, Mr. Weathered, surely, surely. In a suit like that, you've got to have some concerns. There are things that, there are things that, we'll do that at the end, okay? We'll do that one at the end. It is ever forever and ever forever and ever forever. Amen. 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 When someone makes an interjection like that, the correct answer is hallelujah. It's forever and ever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Is that not an amazing story? You are going to live with God forever. But in order to make the church work properly, there are certain things that you have to do when you're building. Has anyone ever tried doing any building work? It's, it's, it's hard to do it in the UK, isn't it? It's, you're not really allowed to just start building on your own. But I know Mark redesigned his house not long ago, got professionals in and tried to sort it out. Uh, anyone else ever, ever done that, redesigned a house or a even put up a shed or an Ikea piece of furniture. The thing you notice when you start doing it slightly off-key is what happens to the rest of the thing? Yeah? That's why we have regulations, many of them from the EU, let's be honest. Um, but that's why we have regulations, so we don't fall over flat on our face and, and knock it down. And this passage is saying that there is a particular part of the building which is utterly essential, and that's called the cornerstone. Now, the scholars argue, because it could be translated a capstone, 
And a capstone is the thing you see if you go to the science museum. Has anyone been upstairs in the science museum uh, to that sort of hands-on exhibition of interactive science? Um, um, I think Rupert's been, he's, he's just scratching his nose. He's scratching his nose. Um, they have one of those bridges that will stand, and the architects among us will appreciate this, will stand without anything joining the pieces together except for the beautiful symmetry and then the capstone in the middle that holds it together. So you can build it, and then you can send your four-year-old walking across this bridge, <laughs> sort of praying it doesn't collapse after all on that occasion when it's standing up before. And they have a capstone there. And some people have said, Jesus could be like that, the crowning figure of the final arch on the building, the capstone. It all comes together in him, and he sort of holds it together. But actually, almost certainly, the image here is of a cornerstone. And the reason the cornerstone is so important, I didn't really realize that until I it through, is if you put this down in exactly the right place, aligned in exactly the right direction, then all you have to do is make sure that every brick that comes after is aligned exactly in the same direction, this way and this way, and it holds together. So if you get the cornerstone down right, uh, then, you, then you, your building will be good if, obviously, you've got decent builders <laughs> operating. Um, now, who then does the building according to this passage? Well, quite simply, the foundations are laid by two types of people, the apostles and the prophets. And who, who are they? Well, the person writing it is Paul, and he describes himself as an apostle. It means a sent one, someone who's been commissioned, someone who has a message from God to establish something. And a prophet is similarly someone who hears from God and speaks the good news. Now, I have to tell you that down through the ages, people have interpreted these two words differently because apostles and prophets sounds like a very nice summary of the whole canon of Scripture. The apostles being the New Testament and the prophets being the Old Testament. So if you build next to Jesus with the scripture, you get a great church, which is true. It's not what the passage is saying, but it's true. <laughs> the scripture is vital for aligning us to Jesus. Uh, the reason it's vital for aligning us to Jesus is told to us by Jesus himself. He says that the words of the Old Testament, he, he gives them authority. He talks about them as God's words. And, and he says you should build your lives on his words which we have in the Gospels, and he then commissions his apostles to be his messengers, and that's what we have in the rest of the New Testament. So if you can believe and trust in Jesus, you have to take his word for it with the rest of Scripture as well. Albeit it needs interpretation and understanding. We don't just grab a verse out of context and then say, stop eating selfish, and we, we, we work it through. But what it's saying here is that there are particular types of people who God has set apart to be builders, master builders in his church. And what is the key thing they have to do? They have to point us back to the cornerstone. Just like the scripture actually points us back to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. So the people who are building the church must orientate you again and again to Jesus Christ. And the passage goes on to say that if, if you build then in this way, orientated to Jesus Christ, eventually you're going to get a gorgeous, wonderful, big building up here, and inside the building something 
can fill it. And it has been filling it for the last 2,000 years. And you're being added into this building if you know and love the name of Jesus Christ. You are being added into this building as a living stone. But the building existed before you and it will exist long after you've been on this earth that you'll still be part of it in eternity. The building's getting bigger and bigger and it's got millions, hundreds and hundreds of millions of people being part of the stones in it and it contains something utterly precious. Do you know what it contains? The most glorious thing. Literally, the most glorious thing. The presence of God himself, known as the Holy Spirit. We are being built into a temple where God himself abides. Now, there's an image for this back in the Old Testament. Do you remember King David, famous for um, five little stones went in the sling and the sling went round and round, knocking over a giant, giant collapses, famous for being a shepherd boy, famous for being a bit of a lyricist and a harpist and a songwriter, famous for being a king, famous tragically for his adultery and murder of someone, uh, but also um, someone who wanted to do what was right by God despite all the mistakes and blunders he made in his life. And at the end of his life, he wanted to build a wonderful temple for God. And God said to him, no, you can't do that. You've been a fighting man. There's blood on your hands. I'm sorry, David, no. But your son, Solomon, the son through the woman he had committed adultery with, the tainted son, if you like, your son Solomon, the tainted one, he will be able to build my temple. And David then displays a heart that is extraordinary. Because instead of sulking and going, I wanted to do that, God, it's not fair. Why are you passing it on to the children and leaving me out of it? He gets everything ready. He sort of gets the Ikea pack and unzips it, unwraps it, puts it in places. He does that um, ADHD thing where you actually do what it says in the instructions of counting out all the bits in the Ikea packet. He lines them all up there for Solomon with lovely timbers from Tyre and cedars from Lebanon and all sorts of things. And then he says to young Solomon, right, I'm out of here. (laughs) I'm going to join the eternal praise party going on. Off you go, son. And Solomon builds a temple. And we have the story in 1 Kings and in 2 Chronicles. When the temple's built, the Lord fills this relatively small infrastructure with his glory, such that the priests in the temple cannot stand up. They just fall on the ground. The weight of his glory is power and might. And you can tangibly feel the Spirit of God descending in there. It knocks people to the floor. This last week at New Wine, a friend of mine walked into the back of the arena. I'd been, uh, I was going to be sitting where I'd normally sit, and there there weren't seats there. I went right to the way to the back where you can see everything going on. And I felt God say, just sit in that seat there. And in two rows in front of me walked some dear old friends of mine who have been in church ministry. They're in their fourth or fifth job. Uh, they've been through the mill. They've had uh, dioceses fighting against them. They've had congregations fighting against them. They were exhausted in ministry. Absolutely superb people. He was my mentor when I was at college. Just brilliant, brilliant people, but exhausted. 
And the man up the front had had this, there was an American man called Robbie Dawkins, and he'd had this real sense, having been with us for 10 days in the UK, that God wanted to do something different that evening. And that he wanted to break those sort of spiritual chains that can easily bind us from time to time and break those things that lock us down, that make us feel less than we are, that rob us of our joy, things that lead to addictions, things that lead to loss of what is good life, what you might call demonic things. And, um, and so we prayed before the meeting, and he spoke, and then he said, would anyone like to come forward for prayer? And as we were waiting for prayer, I saw my dear friends, very sane and normal British friends, two rows in front of me, just beginning to shake like this. And I was like, I've been around long enough to know that that's uh, probably not a sign of going into uh, a fit, but actually a sign of God moving on them like he did in that temple on those people. And I knew that I wanted to be there for them. So when he said go forward, I, I went ahead of them. And then when they got as far forward as they could, because there were hundreds of people wanting uh, to be free from these things, I turned and I said, I'm going to pray for you too. And I put my hand on uh, the one who has a very apostolic set of gifting and his wife who has a very prophetic set of gifting. And almost straight away, uh, the dear uh, older brother of mine in Jesus just fell down on the floor really gently under the weight of God's glory. He was lying on the floor, shaking away. And God was just rescuing him, delivering him from baggage and hurt and pain and heartache and all sorts of things that had gone on in his family and in his church life and restoring his soul, as Psalm 23 says, leading him to lie down in green pastures and to have his soul restored. Actually, someone came along and said, can I just say a prophetic word over him? And I did my spirit. I was like, no, <laughs> get away from him. I just like, go, go, go. And um, I was like, afterwards, I was, I, the guy really challenged me on this. He was very cross with me. Um, and I said to uh, my friend afterwards, I'm really sorry. Someone came and wanted to do something extra to you. <laughs> He's like, no, I was having enough. God was doing enough for me. And actually, while I was lay out on, on that carpet, God has really restored my soul and my vision and my hope. You see, the people of God are a people of glory, a people where God weightily inhabits. When we come together, just two or three of us, if we're open to the fact his presence is there and aware of it, his glory is among us. But his glory is contained in the universal eternal church, which is being built on one cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And everything that happens has to orientate back to Jesus. Do, do you know him? Do you know his name? Do you know his character? Do you know who he is? Not just in history, but in your heart. Do you know him? Do you know him as a friend? I'm sure you do. Do you know him as a saviour? the one who rescues you. And more importantly, Church of Jesus, do you know the most important creed of all? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Because once upon a time, once upon a time, bless you, my friend. God bless you. It's lovely to see you. Once upon a time, 
everyone had to approach one person, Caesar. And they had to say, Caesar is Lord. Everyone had to say, you're the boss, Emperor Caesar. Except for the Christians who said, we're not going to be defined by Caesar. Jesus is Lord. In our world today, what does everyone have to say? Busyness is Lord. (laughs) The mortgage is Lord. How people see me is Lord. How much stuff I've got is Lord. Whether I'm doing better than the person next door is Lord. How well my family's doing is Lord. Except for the Christian who says that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not my wife, not my husband, not my father, not my mother. Jesus is Lord. And when you align yourself to Jesus as Lord, as rescuer, as friend, you are firmly and truly part of that glorious temple he's building. Friends, do you know him as your Lord? Is he in charge? Is he the boss? Every time he's not the boss, you see, what happens to this glorious wall is that you get a leak in it and it outflows what should be contained in it so nicely. Of course, it's not as dangerous as that because it's not all down to you. If you've come to Jesus, he puts an equivalent of an engagement ring on your finger saying, this is a guarantee I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. I will be wedded to my bride, the church. So on one level, you're utterly secure if you've invited Jesus to be your saviour, your Lord. But on another level, when you misalign yourself away from him, when you say, I'm going to do my own thing, maybe because life's got difficult for you. I can't cope going the right way anymore. (laughs) So-and-so's doing this, so-and-so's doing that, so-and-so's doing the other. I want it and I want it now. When you do that sort of thing, you just let the spirit leak out. Not in a good way, (laughs) to bless other people, but just in a sort of deflated way. And what Jesus wants us to do through those apostolic and prophetic people, through the Bible, is to orientate back to Jesus and say, you're the boss, you're in charge. Please just put the brick of my life back into the church the way it should be. If it's been out of skilter, put it back as it should be. Because I want to be one of those who get to hold on to the glory of God. Because what better calling could there be on life than to know the glory of God? What better friend to have than the spirit of Jesus himself? Oh, to be able to walk with him along life's narrow way. Oh, to be that close to him, close as a brother, more intimate than a lover, more known than by a mother. I want to have the glory. I don't want to be out of kilter anymore. I want to be playing my full part as a living stone in the temple of God that goes on forever. And friends, let me let you into one last secret. This is the last secret. One day you are going to be perfectly aligned as a living stone in that building. That's going to be a 
few moments after you breathe your last and Jesus blows the last trumpet (laughs) and rises us up in glory to be his new living perfected temple. (laughs) One day, the stone of your life, if you know and love Jesus, if you have him as your Lord, is going to be perfectly, beautifully, wonderfully aligned. That day is coming. Wouldn't it be good to get practice in for now? So that when that happens, you feel comfortable being there. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if the stone doesn't have to grate across into place, but is there already? Wouldn't it be nice if when you experience the glory of God, you don't go, get away from me, I'm an unworthy sinner. Which is what even the great prophets in the Old Testament had to do. But you look face to face at Jesus and go, I'm home. This is what I've been living for. I'm home. I'm home. I'm free. Could you stand with me, please, as we finish? Lord, we are just a tiny portion of your everlasting church. And I just want to pray first for anyone who is not yet confident that they have accepted Jesus as their friend, as their saviour and as their Lord. They're not confident that they are yet one of those living stones making up the temple. Maybe that's you. If you'd like to become one of those stones, all you have to do is say, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me and please come into my life. Very simple. If you'd like to make that your prayer, I'm going to pray one now. And you can either pray it now or take it away and pray it at your bedside tonight. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Please will you forgive me. Please will you make me part of your living temple. Thank you for your love for me. Amen. And secondly, I want to pray for anyone here who knows that they're out of kilter with God's holy temple, his church. They've just gone askew. We all do in so many ways, but maybe you know especially that today is a time where you need to turn back to Jesus. might have been years, but there is no day like today. Today is the day to turn back to him. So Father, I pray for anyone here who needs to return to you, the God who richly pardons, Please will you bring your forgiveness, your release, and a reorientation to Jesus Christ. Amen. And because God's glory is in his temple, we see God do wonderful things among us. And if you're here today and you know you've got a particular need that you'd like God to meet or you'd like to bring before God, why don't you bring that need before him? It may be addictive behavior you've got. Maybe a health issue you've got. It could be almost anything. Just bring it to God and say, please set me free. And let's just see what he does through that prayer. You've got to ask for yourself, please God set me free. Please set me free. Believe that he'll do this for you. He loves you. You're part of his temple. Please set me free. Amen. Amen. Please set me free. Amen. Please set me free.